Well, hello there. My name is Matt Edmondson and welcome to What's the Story, a podcast where we hear stories about faith and courage from everyday people. And today we are going to get started with Esther Richards. We're going to be talking about what it's like to be a student. We're going to be talking about mental health and the struggles that Esther had uh, to, to mention just a few of the amazing things. Now, this episode is brought to you by Crowd Church, uh, which is an online church. You know, there may be times when not everyone can get to a church building, and it might not even be a place where you actually want to go to. And this is where online church works really, really well. It's super accessible and a safe space to explore the Christian faith. And the thing that I love about Crowd is that it is online first, meaning, Uh, that it doesn't talk just at you, but rather it's a conversation with you, which you can join in through the comments, you can ask your questions, you can share your stories. And so regardless of where you are at on your faith journey, it is definitely worth checking out. Just head over to www.crowd.church or you can email me directly at matt at crowdchurch with any questions. Now, before we get into today's conversation with Esther, I just wanted to mention that it is definitely worth checking out Esther's talk, which she did for Crowd Church, called What Does the Bible Say About Trusting God? Now, Esther is part of the student ministry at Frontline Church. She lives in Liverpool with her newly crowned husband, Chris. Uh, Esther is an archaeology, uh, has an archaeology degree and loves to learn about ancient civilizations. She enjoys spending time with friends and with family. And so without further ado, here's my conversation with Esther. My name is Matt Edmondson, and this is a podcast where we talk to our guests about their Christian faith, difficulties they have overcome in life, and what their hopes are for the future. So my aim simply with this podcast is hopefully to inspire you and encourage you in the Christian faith, regardless of where you are at on your journey. We just talk to real people and dig into their real story. Now, Crowd Stories is part of Crowd Church. And if you would like to know more about the church or about the Christian faith, you can check it all out on our website at www.crowd.church. And of course, you can subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from to make sure you never miss out on an episode. Now, today, I have the fab pleasure of talking to the newly crowned uh, Esther Richards. We were just talking then before we hit the record button. Is it Esther Norris or Esther Richards? And you were Esther Norris and you are now Esther Richards and have been for a whole month. Is that right? A whole month. That is correct, yes. A whole month. <laughs> a whole month. Do you feel like, um, uh, just like you've been married forever now? Yeah, although I actually did say to him yesterday, I was like, do you ever forget that we're married? Because I sometimes I'm like, oh yeah, we did that. That happened. Just lose track, and I'm like, oh yeah, we got married. <laughs> oh yeah, we we did that thing. We did that thing a yeah, month ago. Is it? Yeah. Were you guys engaged for a while? Uh, just over a year. So we kind of, in in an ideal world, would have been shorter, but we pushed it because of COVID. So we were planning to have as COVID a free wedding as possible, um, which we almost mm. managed. But um, in, in theory, it was a regular wedding, so it was all right. <laughs> uh, okay. 
Okay. And recently, Esther, we've had you on at Crowd. You've done your first Crowd talk. You've got that under your belt. Now you're on Crowd Stories. So you're you're a regular here now, aren't you? You're sort of a regular face on the on the old Crowd telly system that we've got going on. Uh, so thank you for doing this. Thank you for doing Crowd Stories. It's great to talk to you. I've been looking forward to this conversation uh, for for since we've agreed to do it, actually. Um, and keen to dig into the story. But before we get into it a little bit, um, I'm, I'm curious to know what you've, what the first month of marriage, I've been married 24 years. So I, 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 there's no way I can remember back to the first month I was married. I just can't. Um, so, you know, <laughs> what advice now that you, Jimmy, you've been married a month, what advice would you have given yourself, if you could go back and have a conversation with yourself, I don't know, pick a time frame, three, six months ago when you were engaged or yeah. um, you were just thinking about to get married, what, what sort of things have you learned that you wish you knew back then? Good question. Um, I think in terms of the wedding day itself, it was like, as long as you get married and you have a nice time, that is literally all that matters. To just chill out, take it easy. Um <laughs> I feel like, I don't know, that's well, one month. I think I actually got a great piece of advice from John Harding recently. And he said, actually, as newlyweds, you're still in a time of transition. That it's not actually that you're just married and now you just know how to do marriage. That you're still, that good chunk of time as newlyweds, you're still learning. You're still in this big time Mm -hmm. of change. So it's all right that think you know you haven't worked out rhythms and how it works naturally yet, um, and I think that's been like really key this month. Has been like it's all right, mm. we're still working out, things are still changing, even though we already mm-hmm. had the wedding. This is the real bit now. So yeah, yeah, yeah. still a time. They got to figure it all out. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now we've got the rest. It of is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's a good way to think about it, actually, time and transition. I don't know if 24 years later I'm st- I'm out of that time of transition, if I'm <laughs> honest with you. I think I'm still learning. Uh, I, st- I think I'm still figuring it out. Uh, and that's just kind of the way it is. So, uh, well, congratulations on your uh, wedding and uh, your making it through the first month. Uh, you're, you know, it's, it's just... Uh, marriage as you have found out is one of the most life-changing things and Mm -hmm. it's just extraordinary so uh, I'm stoked for you uh, and hope it goes super super well Uh, I've been like I say married 24 years best decision ever made she's awesome my wife Uh, and it changes your life for the better so awesome 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 and congratulations thank you so I don't know. It's 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 just it is what it is, isn't it? It's, it's now the rest of your life is Mrs. Richards, yeah. uh, and that's awesome. So, um, but of course, you weren't always Mrs. Richards. You were Esther Norris, uh, and I know you because of Frontline Church. We both go to the church, and that's where we met. Um, yeah. Uh, and I've known you, I don't actually, I tried to think about how long I've known you for. It's going to be a couple of years. How long have you been in Frontline now? Um, it will be five years in September since I moved. And did you come um, as a student? To, yeah, I did. So I I came to move to Liverpool as a student in 2017 and came to Frontline mm-hmm. in my second week in Liverpool. And we said, oh, we'll try a few different churches just in case. And then got back to the next week and we were like, oh, let's just go back. And I've been there ever since. Just stuck around. Uh, it's been great. It's 
never could leave after that. No. What was it that drew you in? I think um, everyone was just really excited to be there. And there was just this like real sense of community and relationship. But also you could tell that people that were there were excited about Jesus. And I was like, this is the kind of church mm. I want to be part of. So I think that's, yeah, that's what made okay. the difference. Yeah. That's a really interesting point, isn't it? It's, just, it's these things that you just sort of pick up that draw you in and you kind of like, mm. uh, it's, it's an interesting thing how that works. So you came to university then as a Christian. So at what point, um, I've, I guess, we did, were you born a Christian? Have you always been a Christian? Was there a specific point for you? Had, had what? Just tell mm. us a little bit about your journey. So I grew up in a Christian family um, of generations of Christians. So my both sets of my grandparents were Christians um, and some of their parents were as well. So really like going through the generations. Um, so it's something that I just kind of always lived. Um, I think, you know, I think I said the kind of classic prayer that kids say when they want to be a Christian when I was probably about five or six. So pretty young, but I think it became yeah. like a decision that I actively made for myself when I was about 12. Um, and I experienced presence of the Holy spirit for the first time. And that was when I was like, mm. Oh, okay. I like, I'm in this, this is what I want to dedicate my life to. So kind of would have always said I was a Christian, but that kind of around 12 was when I was like, Oh no, this is it. This is what I want to do forever. But yeah, I grew up in a Christian family, all my family Christian. So what do you mean when you say um, you had this sort of encounter with the presence of the Holy Spirit for the first time? Mm. I mean, how did I I'm asking you, I mean, I, 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 I know what that means for me. But if you've never been into church, if you've never experienced that, what does that actually mean? Mm. So for me, at least that time, uh, I was at a, a camp for like a youth camp called New Day. And um, we basically we're in like work in some worship and I was praying and I just felt this like overwhelming but unexplainable sense of peace and joy and mm. just excitement about life and it was never something that I could have conjured up for myself and mm. it just got into every part of me and was uh, and unexplainable I couldn't be like oh that's just because I'm having a nice time with my friends it was just very clear that this was not from me. This was from God. Mm. And I kind of, it was a bit easier because it had been explained to me before that, that happened. So I could recognize it because I'd grown up around it. Mm. Um, yeah. So I kind of knew that it might happen one day, but it was like, unlike anything I'd ever expected. And even, and since then, in those moments like of just complete, um, yeah, feeling the presence of Holy Spirit, it's, it is like this unexplainable feeling of joy and peace that it could not have come from inside of me. Mm. I think that's how I'd explain it. Yeah. No, that's good. That's good because I think it's one of those things, isn't it? And uh, we're, we're Christians, a lot of Christians will have experiences of God, which I think is great. Mm. Um, I think it's in the Bible. You know, Paul prays that we would know the love of God, which means no through experience, right? When you look at the original language, it's like no and experience. I'm praying that you actually experience the love of God, the full width, breadth, depth and height of it. I mean, that's a lot of love to experience, right? Well, sure. And so when that 
um, when that experience manifests, what that looks like and feels like. I think it's interesting when you when you talk to people about it, and they often use this phrase. I just felt. I, I don't know how to describe it other than I felt an overwhelming sense of peace. It's a common sort of phrase, yeah. uh, an overwhelming sense of joy. And that tends to be um, a lot of people's experience, certainly early experiences with the mm. Holy Spirit, is this sort of just sense of peace, of love, of joy. And they, they can't explain it, they can't describe it, but they're the best yeah. words that they can use to, to sort of go yeah. with it. Yeah, and I think it's... Um... Because I would have a distinction between joy and happiness because it, I wasn't mm. just like feeling excited and feeling happy, but it's like to the depths of who you are, like something switches and you feel joy rather than just happiness that might fade. But it mm. feels really significant and you think, wow, like that's changed me because I now have joy rather than just feeling happy sometimes. And I think that... Mm was another part of the difference like that felt different to just human happiness mm. yeah that's good and it's i like that because uh here you are sort of you've always considered yourself a christian but god still there's still an element of finding that out for yourself especially if you've grown yeah. up in a christian family still an element of discovering yeah. your own faith and still an element of actually experiencing god uh mm -hmm. and it not just being a lofty do you know what I mean a mental idea i mean it's good yeah. don't get me wrong the mental knowledge in mm -hmm. a sense but it's 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 more than that so yeah. at 12 years old you have this experience with the holy spirit at this point you kind of go yeah this is game on right mm -hmm. uh, this is language i would use esther sorry to yeah. <laughs> uh, it's kind of like uh, game on here we go so yeah. uh, does life take a radical turn at 12 years or what happens next it probably didn't take that much to be honest, I think that I, so I grew up, so my dad led the church that I was part of. My parents um, mm -hmm. started that church when I was about five or six. Um, so I was already just very involved in church. It's kind of what happens when your parents lead the church. You kind of fill all the volunteering mm -hmm. gaps. <laughs> um, and so <laughs> I was already like super involved. But I think, I think the difference would have been my desire to do that rather than just being like oh I, like i need to do this was that oh, i'm excited mm. to serve and so i think that was a significant difference and um and i think i started taking on a little bit more kind of leadership stuff on a obviously on a, like a small scale as a 12 year old but um with friends but also within then eventually in a few years time i helped lead our youth group when i was about 16 so I think it is more of a mindset change than a life change because I was already so um, invested mm. in, and in the church. Um, but yeah, I think my mindset, I was like, oh no, this is like, this is out, I'm serving out of a desire to, rather than thinking, mm. well, my mom and dad told me to, so I probably should. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I think that's probably the biggest switch. Yeah. Okay. And so... Um... You, 12 years old to, when did you go to Liverpool? When you're 18, 19 years old, somewhere in there. Right. Um, so what happened in that time frame? How did you get from uh, where you were to, to, to Liverpool? Lots, lots happened. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I actually spent from about the age of 10 or 11, actually until the age of, probably about 
2021. Um, really quite ill with my mental health. Um, okay. So I started off with like a lot of anxiety around school stuff. I was, my mum would always say like, oh, she was a bit of a worrier as a kid. But then when I was probably about 11, um, I had some issues with friends at school. And so I had like physical illness symptoms, but had no, nothing was physically wrong with me. And the doctor was yeah. like, oh, maybe it's an anxiety thing. But I was like, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Um, and then that just basically got progressively worse um, throughout my teenage years. And it set, so developed into major, just like general anxiety, but also a lot of social anxiety, really suffered with panic attacks um, and then eventually depression. Kind of the depression started probably when I was about uh, 16, 17 was when that got really bad. Um, kind of just powered through it, to be honest. Um, lots of doctor's appointments that didn't really go anywhere. Um, some like school counselling that I had, um, which was helpful. But then eventually, once so once I turned eighteen, they gave me antidepressants and that helped. Um, but basically, just got through high school. Essentially, I think a lot of my mm. friends were struggling with some similar things, so there was some kind of camaraderie in that. I think. Um, and then just found Liverpool, decided to go to Liverpool for uni. Um, I studied archaeology with Egyptology. And I was like, that sounds cool. I'll do that. Didn't really have much of a sense of like, oh, I really want to do this because I didn't really see my future um, because I just saw that I was struggling. And so I thought, well, there, there can't be much of a future for me. So I'll just pick something that sounds interesting because it doesn't really matter what comes next. Um, but had a, when I came to visit Liverpool with my dad for an open day, had a real gut feeling like this is where I'm supposed to be. Um, and mm. I know that was God speaking because that's often how God speaks to me is through my gut feelings. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, it wasn't, I didn't like hear anything. I was just, I remember I was sat in the Costa on the Albert docks waiting for my dad to bring over the drinks. And I was sat there and I just thought, this is where I'm going to be. Um, mm. and didn't do very well in my A-levels at all but still got a place so I figured that's probably also a good sign <laughs> that that's where God wanted me so <laughs> they let you in they let me in yeah or it's just such a niche course that they let everyone in who <laughs> applied so they had the numbers <laughs> is also a possibility um, but yeah that's kind of how I ended up in Liverpool but just by kind of scraping through to be honest of all of my exams and things um, and just yeah getting by as much as possible okay well okay there's a lot there uh yeah. if you don't mind we're gonna dig in i can't we can't just brush over some of these things no, um so you're you struggled then a lot with mental health during your teenage years yeah um and you were struggling uh with mental health through your a levels and were you struggling with mental health when you were in liverpool in the early days yes. as well yeah. Okay. So, um, do you know what kickstarted the anxiety? You said something um, mm. that happened about eleven, but your mum's always called you a bit of a worrier. Is that so? Do you always had you always been anxious as a kid? Do you think, or was there a yeah, trigger I point? So. I, I think that I would. So there's like different types of mental health, and sometimes 
uh, mental illness is like caused by situations and sometimes it's just to do with the chemicals in your brain and the way that your brain is wired um, and mm. I so there's that some history of it in my family and again for a few generations so I think in terms of generally I don't think there's anything that really kick-started it I had some like when I was about 17 we had some like family stuff go down that didn't help but I was already pretty bad at that point so that didn't really make that much difference um so yeah I would say it was just kind of always there um and the doctors would often say to me like you will deal with this for your whole life that's what they told me they said you know you'll be able to get a little bit better and you'll have help but you'll probably never come off antidepressants and you'll probably always be in therapy because they were like, this is just how you are. So yeah, nothing. Deliver hope there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's, that's kind of what I was living like under having that spoken over mm. me basically as a teenager and into when I moved to Liverpool in my first year of uni. So do you remember then being anxious as a kid before you were a teenager or is this something that you sort of, it's a wrong phrase, but is this something you sort of grew into as a teenager? I think I, I think I was anxious as a kid. I mean, I don't massively remember, but I, I think I was like a bit of a worrier and I did, you know, mm. I wasn't always the most like adventurous and confident or quite shy and um, like quite quiet. I think, I mean, maybe my mum mm. might listen to this and go, she was a nightmare. She definitely wasn't quiet. I'm not sure. <laughs> I never know. I will find I'm out. Sure she, but... she was an angel. She was an yeah, angel. Exactly. Great. Um, but yeah, I always like struggled making friends and things like that. And, or, you know, yeah. So I think, I think I was always, I always was. And then I think, I mean, being a teenager is like hard. I don't, I was saying this mm. today, actually, weirdly. I do not miss being a teenager at all. It was, it's really hard and it, I think it gets harder as time goes on. And so I think if it's, if there's already a bit of that in you anyway, in how you naturally respond to situations, then being a teenager often just makes it worse because there's a lot to think about mm. and learn and, and work out. So I think it was there, but was exacerbated by teenage life. Mm. And so when you, so you've got this sort of general anxiety, as you call it, just a general worries about life, but you use this phrase social anxiety. What did that look like for you? So I met, so I think immediately of my prom, we had, when I, uh, when I was, I, I had a weird school system. So I went to middle school and high school, even though it was in England. So I got two proms, mm -hmm. but, uh, and so in year eight, I had a prom, obviously. Um, and I was getting ready for it and my friends were about to arrive and I was running around the house like a mad person trying to get everything together. And I remember standing in my parents' living room, just like breathing really, really, really fast. And my mum was like, okay, you okay? Like, chill out. <laughs> but I couldn't put like an obvious rational reason as to why I was feeling anxious. But I knew that people were mm. like, I was going to be around people. And I'm naturally introverted anyway, but that is different mm. to social anxiety. They're two different things. Um, but it was like this thought of being around people just made me anxious and I couldn't explain it. And it would, when it was bad, when it was really bad, it would stop me going out and doing things. So especially when I was in university, 
there'd be days where I would just stay in my room and sometimes like wouldn't eat or would like run out to like heat something up in the microwave and run back to my room because the, the, the fear of seeing other people was so much that it would stop me from leaving the house. But it was oh, never wow. something I could explain. So I couldn't be like, oh, I'm mm. nervous that this would happen because I knew it wasn't rational, which is how you know it's something that's like an illness because it's not rational and it's not, mm. you can't like sink it away. It was just there and there wasn't, mm. I couldn't challenge it. Mm. So, I mean, that, that, that all sounds, that sounds pretty horrendous if I'm honest with you, uh, Esther. So how bad did it actually get for you? The whole, the whole mental um, health thing? How, how, how low did you actually go? It got pretty, pretty bad. So it got worse when I went to university, I think. Mm. Again, first year of university can be really hard. New place, new people, new everything. Um, I had already had some like incidences of self-harm when I was a teenager, but that got worse when I got to university. And I, again, had this when I was a teenager, but got worse in university where I just was like, there's literally no point me being alive. That was kind of where my mind, my headspace was because I was like, well, I don't have that much impact. People probably wouldn't even notice if I stopped living. That was genuinely what my head would tell me. Um, so I was, when I would say it was probably like the, around the February of my first year of university. It was about three o'clock in the morning and I called my sister. I called my mum and she didn't pick up because it was three o'clock in the morning. Um, and I called my sister and she did pick up. Um, and I was like, I just don't feel safe by myself because I didn't want to live anymore but I also there was this instinct inside of me that also was like yeah but you should probably live so I think there's this it's really hard to explain there's this like weird kind of conflicting thing that happens where you're like I don't want to be alive but also I don't want to die and it's mm -hmm. it's really hard to explain unless you've been there but I ended up walking at 3am to Liverpool Royal A&E um and my dad, bless him, managed to wake up my parents. And my dad got in the car and drove from just south of Birmingham all the way up to Liverpool, three o'clock in the morning, um, to come get me. But sat in A&E for about six hours because they only had one mental health person on staff that night. So they couldn't get around to seeing me. Um, but I remember walking up the road and just like, walking up the path towards the Royal and just looking at the path and like not letting myself look at the road because I was scared that I would walk straight into it. Um, because I was like at that point where I was like, I'm done. I just don't want to. So I was like, just look at the wow. path, just look at the path. Cause I didn't want to be tempted by the road, which is like, it's heavy, but you know, it happens. It's real. It happens to people. Um, that, that was my lowest yeah. point. And my, my mm. absolute legend of a dad came and picked me up. Um, he sat with me in a &E for a bit and then they, I'd been there probably for about three or four hours. And they came to me and said, listen, it'll be another six hours. And I was just like, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm done. I'm exhausted. And I was really afraid of being admitted into hospital. I knew that actually that, looking back now, maybe I needed that. I don't know. But also, um, I would have actually been able to say no to that if I had wanted to, but I was really afraid. Mm. So I just said, dad, just take me home. So um, went home and I stayed at home for about a week. 
and then went back to university. Um, but that was, yeah, that was really the lowest that it got. That was the closest it got to, to anything like really terrible happening. Wow. So, I, I mean, you've answered this question, uh, and thank you for sharing, Esther, and it's not easy stuff to talk about. I appreciate um, and as you were talking, the question that I wrote down in my little, I have a little notebook here where I jot down all my questions as we go along. How, how did your parents deal with all of this? Because obviously you've moved away from home. The yeah. mental uh, health issues have got worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and your dad, I mean, your dad's obviously struggling with this because he's getting in a car at three o'clock in the morning. I mean, your dad is yeah. a legend. I mean, you know, yes, and I can, I can, I can, I feel your dad's heart because I have a daughter and you just kind of go, of course I'm going to get in the car at three o'clock yeah. in the morning. Why would I not? Yeah. Um, but how did, how did they, how have they dealt with it and how have they kind of supported you throughout this time? I guess, I guess mm. is another question. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember when I was a teenager and I was first, struggling with it I remember them saying to me like this is still new to us so you're gonna have to be patient with us because we don't know how to deal with this so they were super honest with me from the start which is always helpful Mm. um and it it did it took me a while to talk to them because I mean there's like stigma and everything that comes with it all but they were great I mean they would chat to me when I needed chatting to and I was like just need to have a conversation or cry or rant or whatever I don't I mean I don't really know how I think yeah I mean I imagine it was really hard because I'm their kid so obviously that is not what they want me to experience um they would never I don't think they ever really like went into detail about how it affected them I remember when I just before I moved to Liverpool I remember my mum saying to me, like, you don't have to go. Like, it's okay, you can stay mm. if you don't think you can cope. And I think part of me, I'm quite, I can be quite stubborn. So that I was like, well, I'm definitely going now. <laughs> um, but, you know, that was the 18-year-old in me. <laughs> um, so, and I think I kind of saw that they, they really wanted to protect me. But they were amazing because mm. they didn't hold me back. And they trusted that I would, that I knew myself enough to know whether I could do it or not. Um, Mm. which was amazing. And I know that a lot of people don't have that and they really like, like, you know, we just, we'll just follow your lead basically. Mm. So, and I I remember, I mean, this is a bit of a, I guess, spoiler for later, but I remember when I told my dad that I'd stopped taking my antidepressants, I'd come off them. Like, I remember his reaction was just awesome. Like he was so excited and he gave me this massive hug and, um, I think then I was like, oh, that's, this has really affected them like a lot when I saw it afterwards. Mm. Um, mm. But yeah, I, d- I don't really know. I think Ben, both my parents have had experiences with, with mental health here and there. I think as everyone has, like everyone goes through stuff. Um, mm. But yeah, I think it must have been tricky, but they did, they did a great job. I think they probably don't realize quite how good of a job they did. Um, mm. But yeah, I think they just trusted me to know my limit, but because they'd already set up mm. that I could come and talk to them if I needed them. Um, yeah. Yeah. And they oh, that's wonderful. Wonderful. And imagine, yeah, yeah, yeah. I imagine there were a lot of prayers behind closed doors, uh, yeah. is, uh, yeah. is what I imagine was going on a lot there. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So here you are at your lowest point. 
right? Mm. You're, you've wandered into the hospital. Your eyes are focused on the pavement. Um, and obviously, you've given us a slight spoiler alert. But before we get into what happened and, and, and maybe how, how God worked with you to, to, to come through this, mm-hmm. how did you reconcile in your head, um, or did you reconcile in your head, this idea of mental health, the stigma, mm-hmm. And how did God let me get here? This is because none of this should add up, right? None of this should equate. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I and I I know a lot of people struggle with this type of thing. So, how 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 are you at this point dealing with that? You know, the the health issues and the theology. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was really hard because obviously, like growing up with it, with you know, knowing the Bible and knowing that. Like truly, truly believing that God had the best for me and that God made all the Mm. right decisions. To then be sat in a position like that, I was like, hang on a minute, this doesn't make any sense. I remember reading, uh, there's a verse in the Bible that says, uh, for God did not give me a spirit of fear, but of power of love and of a sound Mm. mind. And I remember reading that really specific translation of sound mind. And I was like, well, I do not, Mm. my mind is anything but sound. (laughs) Um, like, I remember going to my dad and being like, I just, but I'm, this is not, this does not describe me. I was like, I am fearful. I mm. like, that is what I felt like. And I remember my dad giving me this explanation of like, you know, it's a promise. And mm. we do live in this, like what we like to call this tension of the now and the not yet, which we like to use to explain things, which doesn't necessarily mm. always help explain things, but it is true. Um, mm but that actually that's God's promise over us and that we still live in this world. And so we live in the world that is fallen, even though we are God's people who he has saved and made holy, we live in the world and we live in these bodies. And so, I I mean, it, it was really, really hard. And I think that one of the things I remember saying to somebody was probably my dad, uh, was like the best thing about all of this is that I have learned that I definitely actually trust God because I mm. think when everything's great when you go like especially if you're you know you're young and you grow up in a Christian family you think yeah yeah I think I trust God but it's never been tested before like I just assume that I do but then I went through something like that bad and I was like well I, no I really trust God I like I trust that he, he's doing the right thing and that I I can't really attest that to anything. Like I'm, I don't. I'm not like, oh, great, I did a good job because I trusted. And I, I do think that that mm. was just off the back of like knowing him well and, or you know, and spending time with him, but also the prayer of people around me, um, because prayer is just so powerful. Um, but I remember multiple times sitting in my bedroom, at home and in halls just like just crying like absolutely devastating having a horrible time and just saying god i, I trust you and just like saying that over and over mm. again because it was literally all that i had so i think that in some ways being completely without anything else i was like well i only have god so i don't believe that he's given me this i don't believe that he's made me like this so i have to trust yeah. that he'll bring me out of it and there was just a huge amount of prayer in it as well from myself from other people, or, or probably more than I even know about. And 
I think that was the only way because I couldn't explain it away like I couldn't and I'm sure that there are people that know theology of it really really well but for me it was like this I just know that God has me and that he will use it for good because I trust that because it's all I could do and if I didn't have that I probably wouldn't be here today because that was the Mm. only thing I had to lean on I like to joke um you know, when I talk to people about the power of prayer, I say, you've got to be careful because God does answer prayers. And when I was a teenager, I loved the song Oceans. And there's that line in it that says, mm-hmm. spirit lead me where my trust is without borders. And I really prayed that as a teenager. Yeah. I was like, yes, come on. I want to be somewhere where the only thing I can do is trust in you. And I had these visions of being like in amazing places, doing crazy things and like only trusting <laughs> God. And, um, it wasn't what I thought it would look like, but it, it was an answer mm. to prayer because I had to trust mm. him because it was he was all that I had. And so I think as hard as it is sometimes to to kind of wrestle with that, but why, we know mm. that God is good regardless. And so mm. we have to lean on that because that is the only thing that is going to get us through those points in life. So what does, when you say you had to trust God, uh, and interestingly enough, the talk you did for Crowd is what does the Bible say about trusting in God? And so if you, yeah. you know, you want, want to know more, go and check that out. It'll be on the Crowd website. But um, a great talk by Esther where she talks about this in much more detail. But just a quick summary. What does what do you mean when you say I had to trust God? You know, and you're stood, mm-hmm. you're sat in your bed, you're in tears. There's nothing else. and You're just going, God, I trust you. What what did you mean when you were saying that statement? Mm-hmm. I think that it's um, it's like giving up the right to understand what's happening in some ways. And it's deciding, well, I think part of it is realizing that nothing else fits and nothing else works. So as amazing as my parents and my friends and my family were, that actually couldn't fix me. And, and I'd been to numerous doctors and therapists and nothing had like fixed it. So I think that was part of it. Mm. Is like none of these things work, so I can't trust those entirely and completely to solve this problem. Um, but I think that um, for me it was thinking, well, I still don't understand this, but I'm just gonna choose to believe that God knows what He's doing and that He knows better than me. Mm. And I think that that is one of the, like, it's really hard thing to do. And I think we have to do it constantly. It's not like I did it once and now I'm sorted. <laughs> I have to do it on the daily. Um, but mm. it's, yeah, I think it's this thing of going, well, I, I really wish I could understand what's happening, but I don't. And I'm mm. going to say that that's okay. Because I believe mm. that God does know what's happening and he's more powerful and better than mm. me anyway. So it's probably a better thing that he knows what's going on than I do. And choosing yeah. not to lean on my own understanding of the world. Mm. That's, I, it's that's a really powerful statement. Yeah, yeah. I, I, the trusting in God is giving up the right to try and understand um, mm. what's happening and just go, God, you, you've obviously got a plan here. And that, I think it can sound... If I'm honest with you, Esther, if I wasn't a Christian, right, and I, 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 I know what you mean, having been in those places, um, 
but if I wasn't a Christian, it can sound a bit like I've given up the fight. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm yeah. just kind of just going like this and it's like, case sera, sera, you know, whatever will be, will be kind of thing. Yeah. Um, if, uh, you know, God wills it and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it can, it can sound a bit like that. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't think that's what you're saying, is it? No, no, I, I think, yeah, I know what you mean. It does sound like, oh, well, whatever happens, happens. Um, mm. I think that the part of it is, there's a hope in it um, mm. because it wasn't just me sitting back and going, all right, what happens, happens. That was me on the day before my wedding. I was like, you know, at this point, what happens, happens. It was fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> but at that point, <laughs> it wasn't that. It was, I guess there's an element of, well, what's going to happen is going to happen because God's on it. But mm. there's, there's a hope in it of what happens will happen but it will be better than what is right now. And it Mm. will get better because God, what God has in mind for me is the best thing. And God's, Mm. God's plan and purpose for me is the best plan and purpose for me that could exist. So it's not a, a pessimistic, all right, whatever happens, but it's a, actually God has this and I'm going to let him do Mm. that. Um, yeah, I think that's probably how I would kind of come back from. Mm. Yeah, it's not, and also I, I think that um, that actually that's true freedom, because I, mm. you know the, the world likes to tell us that freedom is getting to choose whatever we want to do, but actually, Jesus means that our freedom is saying, I don't have to make these decisions. Like, I, it's not on me to get it right. It's not on me to get better. I don't mm. have to make sure I go to the right doctor and make sure that I do this, that, and the other. Yeah, I'm going to try. And I still went to all of my appointments mm. and I still did all those things because it's still important and valuable. But I was trusting God for the outcome. And that was where mm. the freedom came from because it's not on me anymore. I don't yeah. have to get it right because God's doing it for me. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That is uh, what we call in the trade a mic drop moment <laughs> right there. Uh, that's that's um, that's fantastic. So so here you are at uni, life's bad. Your dad sat there with you at Amy. You go back home for a week. That's your lowest point. You're mm. on, you know, and I I've heard what you've said now about trusting God and just your attitude and your belief and your desire in that. Mm-hmm. Is that the point? Is it? Well, let me rephrase the question. How, when did it turn around and, and how did it start to turn around for you? So when I was in A&E, when the, the, I can't remember who it was, it was either like a mental health practitioner or somebody like that, came and said, look, it's going to be six hours. You might just want to go home. Um, they recommended that I get an appointment with the Young People's Advisory Service in town, in Liverpool. Um and that was that. Then I went home and I put it off for a while because I was just like, I don't even really know. I've never heard of that before or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I was like, my bit as my mum actually just kept saying, have you done it yet? Have you called them yet? Have you emailed them yet? Have you tried it out yet? Um, in the way that only a mother can do in the best way. Um, <laughs> and so I did it because she was right, obviously, because she's my mum. She's always right. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
<laughs> I just sorry. I just need to stop you right there, Mum. If you're listening, I will send. If you just send me your email, I will send you that clip. You can have that for life, and just play it on the TV whenever Esther comes through the house. That's brilliant. <laughs> sorry, I interrupted you. I was talking to you, Mum. There, Esther, you carry on. Um, yeah, so I went. I went to the Young Persons Advisory Service, and I would joined a support group, which. I found immensely stressful because I was very socially anxious and I had to go and talk to strangers mm. about what I was feeling, which I hated. <laughs> okay. um, but I went um, and I managed to get um, some one-to-one therapy through them as well. Um, and interestingly, I always found people would always say the wait list is really long. Like you're going to be on the wait list for like a year. And then I'd pray and ask God to shorten the wait list and it would be, my waiting time would be at least half what they said every single time. So that was always very mm-hmm. good. Um, so I had some one-to-one therapy, was on different medication. Um, and one of the, I think the, one of the like biggest moments for me that I can look back on and say that was a real turning point was when I went on a mission trip with the students in Frontline to Romania in the summer of 2018. Um mm-hmm. And within that group of people, it was actually a lot of people I didn't know. My housemate had come with me. Um, he wasn't a Christian, but she had a great time. It was great. Um, but <laughs> Your housemate, who wasn't a Christian, went on a mission. Yeah. She went twice, actually. It was awesome. Okay. She's great. Okay. Um, so, yeah. And within that group of people, I didn't know very many of them very well. Um, but I felt really like yeah, I need, to, I need to do this. Like, this is a thing I've always wanted to do. I'm not going to mm. let my brain stop me because it had stopped me on going on other cool, exciting trips. Uh, so I was like, I'm doing mm. this one. Um, so I went and this group of people didn't know me as someone who was anxious and depressed. But so many of my other friends knew that I had all this going on. Mm. And this group of people didn't know that. That's not how they saw me. They saw me as someone who loved Jesus, who was leading, who was um, a friend, who was fun, who was enjoyable to be around. Um, And I kind of, I think, like, God showed me a large part of my actual identity during that trip of not this person who just is an anxious person, but who is actually fun and is like nice to be around and nice to spend time with um and also is someone that is loved by god and other people and that was a really Mm. big thing like i knew i was loved by god because i was like well that's a fact and i knew that my parents loved me because i was like you know that's part of their job Mm. but i was like other people don't really need to they probably don't but on that trip i experienced other people's love for god and for me and i was like oh this is what this could look like um and Mm. so i think that that was a massive turning point and really just like increased my confidence because also we just had an awesome time um and kind of from that moment things just changed things just started to change um i finished I, i carried on in therapy um i came off my medication um in december of 2018 and had my last session of therapy in january 2019 um but i think all through that that 
summer and then that term that term of my second year of university I just had the most amazing community of people around me who mm. loved me for who God had made me to be and who didn't just know me as the anxious person who probably won't turn up because she's too afraid and yeah. it was like God was using these people around me to remind me who I was and so kind of those things that had been spoken over me when doctors had said, you're never going to get better. This is something you'll live with. I'd taken that and said, well, this is who I am. But actually it wasn't mm. who I was. And God was saying, no, no, this is who I say you are. And look, these people already know it. So you need to catch up, <laughs> basically. Um, and I think, and that's when it started to turn around. So I think, you know, God uses all sorts of things and, and everyone's story will look different. And I had often prayed for an instant healing. I was like, I'm done, like I'm done with this. Mm -hmm. It's been like a decade, I've had enough, tired, just yeah. sort it out. Cause I, I really, I believe that God could do it. I was like, I know you do things like this, mm. so can you just do it? <laughs> um, but now looking back, I'm really grateful that it wasn't an instant mm. fix because I have learned so much about God's faithfulness and God's goodness and about myself. Mm and who God's made me to be through that process. That even though it was really rough, um, it's been really formative to who I am. But that in itself still doesn't actually define me because God defines me regardless of my mm. experience of life. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think that, I mean, that's when it started to turn around was like that second half of 2018. Um, and yeah, God just, I still, I would still say it was a miracle because everyone said that it would never happen, but it was like a, a mm. slow burn miracle. <laughs> um, slow, God, slow burn miracle. Yeah. But God used the community mm. and the resources that he'd already placed around me. So he'd mm. known he was going to be my counselors, he'd known he was going to be my doctors and he'd given them the right things to say mm. and prescribe. And he'd placed mm. that all there for me before I even knew that I needed it. Mm to help me get through that part of my life. Mm. Wow. Wow. So your last therapy session was January, mm. 2019, yes. uh, which at the time of recording is, uh, three years ago. Yeah. Um, how's the last three years been? Do you feel like you're, um, it's, you've got stronger and stronger or has it been a bit more up and down? Have there still been struggles and fights mm. or how have you, how have you found that? Kind of both, to be honest. I think that I have got stronger and stronger, but it's also been up and down. Um, so, mm. I mean, it's been a weird three years because there's been a pandemic. And I think that kind of yep. bashed everyone's brains a little bit. Um, so there was that. And, but I, my general, like I would never say at any point that any of my, major symptoms have ever returned i would never say like i've really struggled with my mental health there have been other mm. things i've had to work through so when you go through something for that long it it does leave marks um and mm. patterns of behavior so i you know i spent so much of my teenage years just trying to get through and survive there were lots of things i just never learned how to do or didn't remember i've got like really bad memory of my teenage years because my brain was just like not switched on mm. for it at all um so i kind of had to like retrain myself to socialize which i'm now having to do again after you know lockdown but aren't we all um and i think that 
you know, there's still a lot to learn from it. And I think I am still learning and, and, you know, life is not always easy. And sometimes I have moments where I'm like, oh gosh, this has been hard or I notice things. But I think Mm. part of that is because of just the way I respond to things. So like when I was talking about being a kid that I just responded to things in a certain way. Like, I think that to some extent I still do that but it never, ever, ever goes past a healthy level of worry and anxiety. So if, mm. I, I don't remember the last time I had a panic attack or got so anxious mm. I couldn't move or couldn't leave the house. And, you know, I have days where I don't feel great, but, like, not any more than a regular person does. And I think for me, mm. like, getting better from mental illness doesn't look like every single day is perfect because actually that just doesn't exist. It's just not life works well it's just not life is it exactly (laughs) but actually what it looks like is being able to deal with that in a healthy way and not letting it because if i'd had like Mm. a bad day say four years ago i had a bad day that would have affected my month whereas i have a bad day Mm. and i get up the next morning and carry on as if it's fine Mm -hmm. because it just doesn't have that impact on me anymore so i think that's where i am now and there's i think my part of it is trying to kind of discover now where some of that came from. Now that I've kind of come far enough, I've done enough healing and work to think right now I can actually look and see where that came from. So that's kind of where I'm at Mm. about to start that. So, and I think, you know, I talk about, Oh yeah, you know, I finished therapy in January, 2019 and that's amazing. Actually, I think therapy is great. And I think everyone should do it Mm. (laughs) because I think it's awesome. Um, (laughs) But I think, so actually there's no, there's nothing wrong with that at all. So it, I don't, I'm always kind of cautious cause I don't want to celebrate finishing that because I don't think it's like mm. you complete it and then you carry on cause it's not really the nature of it. Mm. So my plan actually is to go back to therapy at some point soon because I think that it's great to unpack that and just like make sure that I'm still, you know, that any trauma from that hasn't left the mark that I've ignored or that, you know, is, Mm. the problem and I you know I don't think it is but I a lot of time has passed and lots of things have happened and it's good mm. to it's good for everyone to keep up on their mental health especially if they've got a history with it yeah um yeah. and if therapy is something that's accessible to you then it's a great thing to do actually regardless of mm. where you're at um yeah so yeah. I'd say that's, no, that's very wise very wise counsel very wise counsel um <clears throat> it's interesting you mentioned about you know you there are scars um you know you you've been healed but there are scars and i'm i'm reminded of that you, you know that sort of episode where jesus is raised from the dead and um you know thomas is like unless i put my finger in his side i'm not going to believe kind of a thing mm-hmm. and um i'm a lot like thomas during me anyway uh and and jesus is like he was healed he was in a resurrected body but he still had scars mm. from the crucifixion he could still touch the holes he could still touch the scars on his hand and um, and i think scars is an interesting phrase isn't it mm. you know we we can experience the healing of god yeah. but quite often there are scars left and mm. we have to understand that yeah. um, and i think it's great that you do mm. um and that you're you're pressing into that with god and going okay god what 
what are these marks? What are these scars that yeah. I need to be aware of and, yeah. and, um, and, and being with? And it sounds like, Esther, one of the, the things that you talked a lot about was discovering your identity, mm. um, who God made you yeah. to be. Mm-hmm. And um, we, we talk about this a lot in the church, you know, to sort of mm-hmm. find out your identity, who you are yeah. in God. But what are some of the key, if I can use a Christian word, revelations? What are some of the key um, things that you've discovered about your identity that just really make your heart sing? Mm. I think, great question. I love it. Um, funnily enough, we did, so I'm the student worker now at Frontline. And last night, our student hub was about identity and one of our students led a session on who we are and it was awesome. So this is great. I should got to try and remember it all now. Um, I think <laughs> that one of the things that I love is that I'm a daughter. And, and I think that's interesting because I have fantastic parents who have been very present. So it's not like I feel like I have a gap to fill in that sense. But the word daughter has always mm. affected me because I've never, ever doubted that my parents are fully there for me and like for like for me in every sense of the word so I think it carries a lot of weight for me that God's like Mm. you're my daughter as well and actually that Mm. God loves me as a father more than my earthly dad does and so I think Mm. and, and I know like a lot of people feel very differently about that whole concept of parenthood with God and and fathership but Mm. I think that like that always had a really big impact on me because there's something so like intimate about that word and like precious Mm. that like fathers just like cradle their daughters. Like that's how I imagine it with like wings, like in the Bible, it's like, um, Mm. you know, wings of an eagle and being under shade and that sort of stuff. Um, and I think that, so that has, that's always had a bit of an impact on me. And I think, um, the concept that God like just knows us so well it's not that we're just like all this big group and he's like yeah those are my people but he's like each and every single one of you I know you I know the hairs on your head I knitted you together in your mother's womb made you as individuals so specifically and completely that he didn't make a mistake and I would often think Mm. I'm, I'm like when I was ill, I was like, oh, I'm broken or I'm a bit wonky. That was the thing I used to say when I was trying to make light of it. I was like, oh, I'm a bit wonky. Um, and like, I think actually God's like, well, well, no, because I don't, God doesn't make mistakes. Um, and life happens and things are hard, but actually the things you go through are not the things that define you. Because God has said that you mm. are chosen, that you are wonderfully and fearfully made, that you are completely enough and that you are worth dying for. And if God says it, then it's true. And so actually it doesn't mm. matter what doctors, family, friends say about you. They could be nice things. They could be great things. But actually what God says mm. about you is true. And that's that you're chosen and mm. complete and enough. Um, and that thing of having a spirit of power and love and of a sound mind and that just Mm -hmm. because I was afraid for a very long time does not mean that I have a spirit of fear because that's not how God created Mm -hmm. me he has said that I have a spirit Mm -hmm. of power and of love 
and of a sound mind. So therefore I do, because that's what God says over mm. me, not anyone else. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. I mean, that's such a brilliant uh, story. And I, I, again, thank you for sharing. And I've, I've loved hearing every minute of it. And I, as we're sort of coming to the end here, Esther, one of the things I would love for you to do, you've, you've touched on it a couple of times. Um, I would love for you just to touch on the stigma of antidepressants. Um, because I, I've seen this in the church um, mm -hmm. a little bit. I don't think, you know, I, 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 different people have different stories about it. And yeah. I just think it's probably worth just putting a finger on that a, a little bit, mm -hmm. if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. Um, so I started taking them when I was 18. Um, it was a really weird experience because I basically went to the doctor and I was like, look, I'm still struggling. I've been coming for years. I got lots of like informational leaflets about how to sleep better, which was just never helpful. Um, <laughs> literally I turned 18 and they were like, here you go and handed it over. I think it's probably just easier to prescribe antidepressants to mm. legal adults. Um, and I remember taking it home and telling my mum about it. And my mum and dad were really cautious. They were like, they were a bit like, Ooh, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if this is a good idea. Um, I think I was at a point where I was like, well, nothing else is working right now. So I'm just going to try mm. it. Um, and I think my parents now would say that it was the right thing to do because I, at least my experience mm. of it was that it gave me enough clarity of mind to be able to understand what I was thinking. And I think that mm. my head before was so heavy and clouded that I would never have been able to start working through what I needed to work through to start to get better. Um, mm. and I wouldn't have been able to hear things properly or remember. I couldn't retain any information. Um, and once I started taking those, I remember things much more clearly from that point. I think that, um, so I'm also super asthmatic, like my lungs are terrible. Um, and I take an inhaler every single day and I have done for most of my life since I was about two years old and no one has any mm. issue with that because my lungs have an issue. So I take a medication and it mm. helps me breathe. My mind had an issue, so I took a medication and it helped me breathe. And I, I, I for me, mm -hmm. I see that the same. And I, I know that it, it makes people nervous because it can, it affects your mind. But mm. God gave us resources and knowledge. And, you know, I think that, I don't think they're right for everybody. And that is kind of, sometimes doctors will be like let's wait let's try something else and it's not always a let's mm. just run to that and and just take that and nothing else i think mm. it's a it's a two-pronged approach you know you have to take those and do the therapy and talking and and the work and the prayer and mm. all of that so it's not a it's not a, a one fix fits all solution mm. um but i i think that as the church if we are okay with other medications, it needs to be the same for mental health because mm. people get too afraid to speak up about their mental health in church. And we need to be better at that mm. because people are suffering when they don't need to be. And, you know, God mm. says in the Bible that we are to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. Mm. And so we have to do that. And the way that we do that is by speaking openly about yeah. things and having those conversations, mm. even when they're hard. Um, so yeah, mm. I, I think that 
I think that it's fine. I think that if you're taking them properly and safely under doctor's advice and all that sort of stuff, then it's fine and it's helpful and it's needed um, when it's needed. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah, my experience with um, uh, antidepressants, not that I've personally taken them, um, so I'm not speaking from a personal experience here, but having, you know, cancelled a fair few folks over the years, um, it tends to be, like you say, when you use antidepressants in conjunction with mm -hmm. other things. Yeah. So the clarity that that brings your thinking, to mm -hmm. use that clarity to, as the Bible say, to renew your mind, to, yes. to, to start to build the healthy thought patterns around yeah. identity, to get involved in community, to, mm -hmm. to, to get out of a position of loneliness, to get yeah. involved in church. Um, and do those things that you've talked about that have obviously so helped you, mm. um, I think is wonderful. So, Esther, you are uh, an absolute legend. You're, you're, you've come through this quite um, horrific illness. And like we said at the start, you've been married a month, yeah. a whole month, <laughs> you know, and um, a whole month. And well done. Uh, as you sit here... Um, in your what early mid twenties somewhere in there, what's your thinking, hopes, plans for the future? Don't know. <laughs> it's a short answer. Um, I so I'm currently doing the student work at Frontline and absolutely loving it. Um, I am not a person that has always kind of known what I wanted to do or anything like that. Um, I think that I'm just really excited to see what God's going to use me for. Um, mm. Because I, I, you know, yeah, I just think that he has amazing and exciting plans for everybody. And obviously they all look different, but there is, mm. there's definitely a certain amount of nervousness in not knowing what comes next. Um, and I think, you know, there's probably a lot of people that feel like that, especially coming around exam season for, you know, teenagers and things. But I think that um, there's also a certain amount of excitement that you can have in, in not really knowing what you want to do because it's like mm. it's completely wide open for God to do whatever he wants. Um, so yeah. for right now, sticking where we are until God tells us to go do something else. Um but yeah, just just excited, and I think I feel very much on the start at the start still, um, at the beginning of mm. getting to know God more. I know there's so much that I don't know, and I think I'm really excited mm. to just learn more of God and more about myself as well, and um, just of like what He's got in store. Um, mm. Yeah. So. One of the things which is lovely, uh, and I'm sitting here uh, listening to you talk, and I'm, I'm in, my, in my internal dialogue is, this is lovely, because <laughs> what you have just shared is, I don't know what my future holds, mm. but I know it's going to be good, and I'm excited about it. If I rewound the tape, not that this is recorded on tape, but do you know what I mean? <laughs> if I rewound the tape, I'm old school, um, to the start of the conversation where you talked about how in your teenage years and i wrote the phrase down you didn't see your future mm. um and that was a really and what's lovely is now you see a future you don't know what's in it you you, you don't know you don't know what it's going to be but you know mm. it's it's safe yeah. and you're excited about it and i think 
I think that is lovely. I can't think of another word to describe <laughs> it. I just think it's wonderful sat here yeah. listening to you talk that actually um, you you have hope and you have future and and that's that's amazing. It goes without saying, of course, if you are listening to this and you are struggling with mental health and you need you want to reach out to somebody. Um, church is a great place to get involved if you're not already in church. You can reach out to us at Crowd Church if we can help you. Just head over to the website www.crowd.church. We would love to hear from you. You can WhatsApp us. You can contact us via the website. Um, but, you know, do get stuck into community. Church community is wonderful. Uh, and uh, like I said, we would love to hear from you if we can help. But Esther... It has been an absolute privilege to talk to you. Thank you so much for being here uh, and just being so tightly vulnerable and honest, and but also, you know, inspiring and encouraging and just lovely and wonderful. Thank you uh, from me to you. Mm. God bless you. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Ah, it's been great. It's been wonderful. So um, a big shout out to um, Esther for being here. If you would like to hear more Crowd Stories, you can check out other recordings uh, on our website. I keep saying it, crowd.church. You can head over to... Well, actually, uh, Esther, you, you may not uh, realise this, but um, we have... Uh, I've recorded a, an interview with Anna Kettle, <clears throat> who's also been on Crowd, who was also a student worker. Yeah. And it's not that everybody I know was a student worker <laughs> at Frontline. I just want to just want to clarify that right right here at the start. Uh, it just is a coincidence that both you and Anna uh, were, you know, mentioned a little bit about being a student worker. Um, but yeah, you can check out more Crowd Stories on our website. Make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast uh, and also to the live stream every Sunday, 6 p.m. Uh, it'd be great to meet you great to connect with you if we don't haven't already done so so uh from myself from esther thank you so much for being with us uh, and bye for now so there you have it what a fantastic story my very huge thanks to esther for joining me today don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast from because we have some great stories about faith and courage from everyday people lined up and I don't want you to miss any of them. No, I don't. So uh, make sure you subscribe. And also while you're there, why not subscribe to the Crowd Church live stream as well? Uh, come and say hi in the comments. Join us every Sunday, 6 p.m. here in the UK. That's 1 p.m. Eastern Time. And if you'd like help figuring out what that means for you and your country, go to our website, www.crowd.church. There's a little link and it will tell you the time for you. And just in case no one's told you yet today, you, my friend, are awesome. Utterly, utterly awesome. Yes, you are. It's just the way that God's made you and it's a burden we just have to bear. Yes, it is. <laughs> and that's okay. We're, we're okay with that. Now, What's the Story is a podcast which has been produced by CrowdChurch. Uh, you can find our entire archive of episodes on your favorite podcast app. The team that makes this show possible is Sadaf Bainon, George McQuaig, Estella Robin, and Tim Johnson. Our theme song is written by Josh Edmondson. And if you would like to read the transcript from today's show, or even view the show notes, find the links and all that sort of stuff, just head over to crowd.church, our website, where you can also sign up for our newsletter. 